Well, greetings once again, as we are using this live stream technology to be together in a time we can't be physically in the same place. Uh, we are praying for everyone, as you've already heard. We're encouraging, we're asking that you would be, that we would, that you would be in prayer as well. And uh, hopefully you're staying safe. And we know that there are some hardships being endured by this. And so we're in constantly seeking how can we help and we're trying to touch base with everybody and see and just make sure that we're all being connected together. So I'm asking you to keep reaching out. I know so many of you are checking in on somebody else and they're on your sort of watch list that you're, you're taking responsibility and we appreciate that so much. I want to tell you something that's exciting. Easter's coming up and we're not going to be able to celebrate Easter in the way that we typically celebrate Easter. Because every year we look forward to coming together. In the past couple of years, we've been with the Avenue G Church. And obviously, with shelter in place, that's not going to be possible this year. But Easter is still going to be celebrated. The tomb is empty. And so one thing that we're going to do this year to help us prepare for Easter, and in many ways experience the Easter week or this Holy Week, as it's known around the world, together, is through the, our Holy Week text messages. And we've set that up again. Some of you have participated in this before. Many of you, this will be the very first time. But I want to invite everybody to participate. And here's what it simply is. All this week, using the chronology that we have from the Gospels, we will be sending out text messages at the moment that corresponds to what Jesus was experiencing on that particular day, at that particular time, in the last week of his life, as it led up to the cross and the tomb, and ultimately the resurrection. So here's how you can participate. On your cell phone, I want you to, to experience this in real time, to this number, so place this number in the contact section where you were going to send a text message to. So open up your text message on your phone and enter this number into the place where you would, or the, like you were sending it to a person, put that number there, 254-252-35. Three, two. And then into the body of the text, the place where you would put the message that you were going to send, put Holy Week. Now you've got to be careful because you cannot include spaces. So Holy Week as one word. And I know it will try to autocorrect and make it two words. You're going to have to overcome that. You may have to do it more than once. But one word, Holy Week, all as one word, no spaces, into the body of the text and send that then hit send on that text. And, and once, you re, once you send, if you've done it correctly, you'll get an immediate feedback. Uh, a response will come showing that you're signed up for that. I want to invite you to have done this. If you participated in this, we did this a couple years ago, we used a different system then. And so if you received them then, and you want to receive them this year, you need to go ahead and do this right here that we're talking about because we've used, we're using a new text messaging system to make this functional. Now, something we've added this year, especially since we can't be all together the way that we want to be on Easter, is we've added some devotional thoughts that will come in the form of videos along with them. So some of the time you'll be receiving a text message, and you'll see a link to a video there. It's a devotional thought 
from me about that particular event in Jesus' life. Again, this is a way for us to all experience it together. This will begin. So I'm encouraging you to sign up right now if you haven't done it and you want to participate. I also want to encourage you to share this information with anybody else. Anybody can sign up for this and we'll share it with as many people. They don't have to be a part of Western Hills Church. They can be uh, anywhere in the world and participate in this. And the first one will roll out today uh, sometime after lunch. It'll be coming and so you can be watching for it then. And today's the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly. And that one will have a video attached to it and you can see that how this is going to flow for the rest of the week. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. Jump in, once again, to this number, text the word Holy Week, all one word, no spaces. Double check it before you hit send because again, autocorrect is going to try to, to change it for you and then send that and be a part of that. So really encourage you that that's something that we can do together. Now, I am going to jump into our message today, and we are going through the Gospel of Luke. And we are looking at Jesus because we want to see Jesus clearly each time. But I want to invite a couple of things. I want to ask for the kids that are watching, because I know that a lot of families are watching this together, and you still may be in your pajamas, and that's okay. But I want to invite the kids to participate in a, in a special way. As, we, as I preach through Luke, I know that that oftentimes some children are watching and they're paying attention to what's going on. So I've got an assignment for you. I want you to get a piece of paper and get your colors or your markers or your pen or your pencil, whatever it is. And I want you to draw a picture from today's story in this gospel, from today's Bible story that I use. And it's called the Good Samaritan. And I want you to draw that and you can spend as long as you want on it. And then when you're done, Share it with your parents. And parents, if you would, I want you to send that to us on Facebook or shoot it to us in an email. I would love to gather some of these. You can send it, take a picture of it, and send it to me in a text message if you want. However you want to get it to us, would love to share some of those. We'll post those on our social media. But that's a way for your children to be involved. Have them draw today's Bible story. And it's a very cool Bible story, so I can't wait to see what you do with it. Have them do their best artwork and then send it to us, and we'd love to share it. And that's one more way we're going to stay connected together. So I hope you've got your scripture journals. If not, I hope you, you have your Bible either turned on or open to Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Before we get there, I need to set up our story with this. I'm going to show you a picture. Many of you may have been familiar with, uh, with the Mr. Rogers. He was Pivotal in my growing up, I grew up in kind of that season with Mr. Rogers was at his sort of at his peak and highly affected my generation. This picture is iconic as far as Mr. Rogers. This picture was from an episode in 1969. And what Mr. Rogers is doing here is sending a message. Because Fred Rogers, the one that created, who some would call him a character, but Fred, Mr. Rogers was Fred Rogers and who he was to his core. And he lived this out in so many ways. And on his show, he created a character with Francois Clemens, and that's this gentleman right here. And the first thing that he did with Francois is he made his character a police officer. So he had a black American serving as a police officer, and that sent a message to the entire audience. And then on this particular show, the sketch that Mr. Rogers wrote was for him to be enjoying dipping his feet into this kiddie pool on a 
hot day. And Officer Clemens comes by, and Mr. Rogers invites him to join him in the pool. Now, that may not seem striking to us today, but understand the background to this is what people had seen on their news and just recently before this episode came out was hotel owners in Alabama. When some black Americans tried to swim in the pool there to force them out, dumping gallons of toxic pool cleaner into to drive them out of the pool. That's the backdrop for what Mr. Rogers does here. And not only did he invite Mr. Clemens to, Officer Clemens to join him in the pool, at the end of the sketch, there's only one towel. And so Fred Rogers shares his towel with Officer Clemens. And in fact, the sketch ends with Mr. Rogers drying the feet of Officer Clemens, totally rewriting how different races were to see each other and to treat each other. Well, what's most powerful about that, and you may not realize, but Fred Rogers was an ordained minister. And he had this message at his core, and he had used this medium of television to send this message out into America, but he didn't create this message. In fact, as he told this story, he's actually tying into a greater story that comes directly from Jesus. And his love your neighbor message that came on so strong actually comes from the stories that Jesus told, and particularly the one that we're going to talk about today. So with that, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Open your scripture journals to Luke chapter 10. If you're following along. And we're going to be about midway through, starting in chapter 25. So I hope you've got something to write with, and I hope you've got something to connect with. And here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, and he's been performing miracles. People have seen him. If you've been following along with this, you know that by this point in Luke's account, People have seen him heal. People have seen him control the wind and the waves. So this power over nature. People have seen him create what we would call a miraculous catch of fish. More fish than these fishermen that in their professional lives had ever seen in a single catch before. They've seen him take simple bread and fish and multiply it in such a way where it fed an entire, what seemed like could be an army of people. They've seen him heal disease and they've even seen him raise from the dead. And so the buzz, the word on the street about Jesus, it, there's an attraction to him because he seems like a person of power and authority. And so now those that are in positions of power and authority, they're going to circle around him and they're going to see if he's valid. They're going to see if he's orthodox. They're going to see if he is, is in line with their belief and their thinking. And so we have this lawyer. Now, don't think of a lawyer in the sense that you and I know lawyers, but think of more of a scholar of the law, 
of the religious law, the Judeo law, that they all would have been practicing believers in. And so this is a man that dedicated his life to understanding all the ins and outs and all the small details and all the nuances of the law. And so he has a test. It's a kind of an orthodoxy test for Jesus. So he's going to stand up and he's going to test him. Now notice that word is in there. So he comes to Jesus not with a motive of seeking, but with a motive to see if Jesus can pass his test and can be validated. And so he asks a question, and it's, very, it's a, an important question, and he says to him, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this wasn't a new question. This was a question that was often asked of somebody like Jesus, a rabbi or teacher, to see if they were in line with the teaching. It's a litmus test in many ways. And so he asked this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows that it's a test. And Jesus puts it right back to him and says, well... What's written in the law? How do you read it? So he asks the question, reflects it right back to him. And what the lawyer does is he gives the right answer. He gives an answer that's found in the Old Testament that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And to which Jesus has this incredible reply. He said, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, have you ever had a moment where you've asked a question, and you thought you got somebody, you thought you've got them backed into a corner, you're going to expose them? Well, that's where this guy thinks he's going with Jesus, but obviously Jesus is not going to succumb to what he thinks is the trap, to what this lawyer thinks is a perfectly set trap. And so Jesus replies back to him and says, you've answered correctly. Now, this, in many ways, just takes the wind out of his sails because they've just agreed. They, they're, they're just in the right place, and he can't poke at Jesus anymore, or test him, or, or needle him with questions. And so he does back up, and he composes himself, and he asks one more thing. So look what he says in the very next verse. He says, But desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor. Now, there's a word I want you to circle right there, and to justify himself. Have you ever tried to justify yourself? Have you ever been in a conversation, perhaps, I don't know, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a parent, maybe with a child, and you're going to try to justify yourself, your actions, you're going to try to correct something and try to make it look like you are in the right Try to make it look like your, your actions are reasonable, your actions are right. Let me ask you a question. How did that go? See, it never works out well when we're trying to justify ourselves. And so what he wants to do is he wants to justify himself. He, he knows the knowledge of the question. I mean, he knows the facts. He knows how to answer Jesus' question because he knows the law. But does he know what the law calls him to be? and what it calls him to do. And so he asked this question. He says, I want to, he says, so who is my neighbor? Which makes sense because the, the law was two parts. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He knows who God is, but now he's got this question of, now who is my neighbor? Because he wants to know who falls into that circle and who falls out. 
Because surely it doesn't mean like Rome. I don't have to love the Romans and their oppression and their occupation of it, do I? And so now he poses that question, his second question back to Jesus. is, So who's my neighbor? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus tells him a story. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Do you know what an oxymoron is? An oxymoron are two words that... Are, seem like they're exact opposites, and they go, but they're put together. The idea of jumbo shrimp being one. Maybe you consider organized religion to be an oxymoron. Have you ever heard the phrase, that's pretty ugly? So you got pretty and ugly. These things don't go together, and yet we put them together, and we use them all the time in our speech. Well, if you had been an original reader of Luke, you would have heard this phrase, this title that we give to this part of the scripture as an oxymoron. You would have heard good Samaritan and not known what to do with it. And in fact, if you notice, the phrase good Samaritan never actually shows up in the text itself. Now it's in the heading, but that's added later when some of the editors that put the Bible together just to help us find the story. But we know this story. It's so familiar to us as the word good Samaritan. And the downside of that is we don't understand all the history more importantly, the bitterness, the shock that would have gone in to those words coming together in a sentence. Good should not be an adjective to Samaritan. And so what occurred is years ago, when what was known as the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, when they were came and the Jews were carted off in many ways, some Jews chose to go along and get along, meaning they became part of the culture that they were, and they began to intermarry the Syrians. And some chose to not do this and remain, in their opinion, pure, remain separate and apart. And then as the Jews were able to come back into their land and to occupy Jerusalem and Judea and all these, the surrounding area, there became two different groups. The descendants of those that intermarried became Samaritans. And the Jewish people, the ones that have stayed apart in their minds, have stayed pure and stayed untarnished, they looked down on the others. In fact, they would call the other descendants essentially half-breeds. And that's the way that they would refer to them. And so there was nothing in a Jewish person's mind good about a Samaritan. In fact, we have stories that instead of going through the territory where the Samaritans lived, Jews would take a long route around so as not to be spoiled or soiled or contaminated in their mind by anybody in Samaria. 
And so they would avoid it at all costs. There is no person listening to Jesus as he told this story that would have thought when they heard a Samaritan come along that he's going to be the hero of the story. They hear the priest, this man of religion and, and servant to God. They hear about the Levite that come along. And they say, as he crosses the other side, they say, okay, there's, there must be some reasons for that. They're justified in that. And then when he says, then a Samaritan comes along, their next thought would have been, watch, this man's situation just went from bad to worse. He's already beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. The Samaritan, he's going to come along and finish the job. The Samaritan's going to pick whatever pockets he's got left and he will end his life. That's where they thought the story was going. So when Jesus tells this story, and he says the Samaritan came along and he saw the man, and unlike the other two, did not cross to the other side of the road, did not avoid him, but went to him with compassion. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody thought this is the way the story's going to go. And so the Samaritan goes and tends to the man in the story, the one that nobody listening to or expected, because understand, they've got not just days and weeks or even years of basically bigotry built up against the Samaritan. They've got generations built up. And it all seems like it's been justified because this is the group, again, that supposedly in their mind turned their back on God. And now, here's the one that's caring with compassion. And he goes to great lengths to care for this man in this story. He goes to great lengths to put him on his own donkey, to take him to an inn, to tend to his wounds, and to pay for the charges and whatever cost and for food and resources is needed for this man. And so Jesus finishes this story, and then he looks back at the lawyer that asked the question, the one that says, and who is my neighbor? And he looks back at him and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And understand, this man cannot even bring himself, this lawyer cannot bring himself to even say the Samaritan. So I imagine it like this, that he mumbles out the words, the one who showed him mercy. Almost choking on the words as they come out. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I think there's some powerful takeaways for us in this story as we look at this. And I want to share something with you and then we'll share in a time of communion. But here's takeaway number one. Look at this. God is working in the life of your Samaritan even if you won't give them a chance. God is at work in the life of the person that you are most antagonistic towards, the one that you're pretty sure they are outside the reaches of God. They've walked away from God. This may be the person that looks different than you, doesn't vote like you, they don't believe the same things you believe, they have a different worship style than you, there may be some animosity from something in the past, but God can be at work in the life of the Samaritan even if you won't give them a chance. 
Because in the story, nobody bet on the Samaritan, yet God says, here's the hero of the story. And so even in your story, in your life, God may be using your Samaritan in powerful ways. That person or that group of people that you've discounted a long time ago, God's going to use. He's going to use who he's will. Have you noticed there's a trend? There's a real pattern here. God does not ask me my opinion on who he wants to use. God uses who he chooses. And God chose this Samaritan. And so once again, as we see this all throughout Luke, God keeps going outside of the boundaries that, that the Jewish people want to define. The religious leaders want to keep the boundaries very clear. God uses everybody inside the circle, everybody outside the circle excluded. And Jesus, time and time again, is demonstrating that when the kingdom of God comes near, when the gospel message arrives, it's not for a select group that looks just like you or just like me or just like the Jewish group that originally received it. It is a global message. And it doesn't need my permission. It doesn't need your permission for the message to go around the world. God's going to use your Samaritan regardless of what you think. It's a, he is inviting the entire world into his message, into this relationship with Jesus. Here's the second thing that I believe we take away. This is about being a neighbor, not evaluating who is your neighbor. See, anytime we start trying to figure out who our neighbor is, we're playing the exact same role that the lawyer did. I want to know who my neighbor is. Surely it's not this group over here. Surely it's not the Romans. Surely it's not that group over there. If I can keep it down narrowly defined, then that makes it so much easier and so much more controllable, and I never actually step outside of my comfort zone. What Jesus does when he tells the story, he flips the question completely on his head, doesn't he? Because when he gets done at the very end, he doesn't say, who's your neighbor? Back to him. He says, which one acted like a neighbor? And so what he's calling us is calling us to the idea of being a neighbor, not getting caught up in who is my neighbor, not evaluating and trying to assess who am I responsible for, but as you go, you're on task to be the neighbor. You're on task to be this one that's received the grace and mercy from God, and now you extend it everywhere you go. What the Samaritan did not do is he did not assess the likelihood of success. He did not assess whether or not this was a Jewish person or another Samaritan person. He did not assess whether somebody in his past had been mistreated by the Jewish people. He didn't do any of that. He simply saw and responded. And if you notice, it's very clear that both the priest and the Levite, both of them saw the man and they took a different action. He saw and stepped into. They, they assessed. He went into action, being, becoming, acting like the good neighbor. So my encouragement for us is that we begin to live lives where we're focused on being the neighbor, not assessing, evaluating, trying to figure out who our neighbor is. Because that means that everybody that we come in contact with regardless of whether we agree with them or not, regardless of whether we like them or not, regardless of whether they've been good to us or not, we have the opportunity that they're a candidate for us to be a good neighbor too.
And then we go into action. And that brings the last point that this one thinks. Love is a verb. And did you notice that Jesus' last comment, when he says, the one that was a good neighbor, he says, go and do likewise. Jesus doesn't say, well, now you've believed the right things. He doesn't say, now you've thought the right things. He doesn't say, now you've given the right answers. He says, go and put this into action. Love is a verb. We've made it a noun in so many ways, but it needs to be in our life as people that follow a God that loved us enough that he went into action. Love is a verb. Go and do likewise. Be this kind of person. This is what Jesus wants out of telling this story that we would be people that have received grace and mercy in such a powerful way, in such a great quantity, that that is our natural response now. Now, now think about this. Where do you find yourself in this story? See, so often we find ourselves as that person that was beat up and left for dead on the side of the road, correct? That at some point in my life or your life, that was us. That was our story. Now, we may be ashamed of it, and we may never want to tell anybody about it, but that was our story, and it's at that moment that Jesus steps in for all the reasons that he shouldn't. For all the reasons he should stay far away, he steps in and shows us mercy. And not only does he heal and clean our wounds, but he assumes our wounds for us. And he shows us great mercy and great love. And then he says, go and do likewise. See, the other two, the priest and Levite, they were coming from worship. They were coming from Jerusalem. And the point that Jesus is making is that your worship is only complete. Not when you've just been to a service. And that's why, even though that we can't gather for a worship service, that doesn't stop us from being the church together. Because it's not just when you come from a service, but when you go and put love and grace and mercy into action, just like Jesus did for us. Go and do likewise. And that's the invitation that you and I, we share together. As recipients of a great love and mercy, we now can be the good neighbor. Now, and you may have people in your circle that would be shocked to be treated this way by you. That you would do a kind gesture for them. That you would reach out to them in love and in mercy. Just like the Samaritan shocked everybody that heard the first story. That's okay. Congratulations. You get to be a biblical hero now. But this is the invitation that God gives us. This is the invitation that Jesus is extending. This is the call that we have from the one that laid down his life for us. See, in a week, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus laid down his life and then rose again, and the tomb is empty. And again, even though we can't be together, the tomb's still empty. And we're going to celebrate that fact. And that is forever the reminder that we've received the rescue when we were abandoned on the side of the road. Well, to wrap up where we began, Officer Clemens, Francois Clemens was the man's name that played Officer Clemens. Years later, in a documentary, in fact, the one that came out a couple years ago, was being interviewed about that very pivotal moment 
and he talked about how it, it broke down racial barriers. And in fact, he was very uncomfortable at first even playing a black police officer because that meant something different to him before he assumed the role. Well, he was a long-standing character on the show. And he said that there's one day that as he was watching Fred Rogers wrap up the show, and if you're familiar with it, you know it had that iconic ending where he would take off his sneakers and put on his shoes and take off the, the cardigan sweater and put on his jacket. And just as he left, he says, it's just been a beautiful day in the neighborhood because of you. And he says, thank you for being you. I like you just the way you are. And he said, on this particular day, he locked eyes with Fred Rogers as he was giving that closing line. And then as soon as they ended the camera or ended the scene and cut on the camera, Fred Rogers walked over to him and he looked at him and said, Fred, were you talking to me? And what Mr. Clemens reports that moment is that Fred looked at him and said, I've been talking to you for years. And today... You heard me. I'm not sure where you are. I'm not sure what your relationship with God is, but Jesus is talking to you, and he wants you to hear. Maybe today's that day. Maybe today's that moment that you can hear what he has to say. Because what you're going to hear is not a scolding. It's not a disappointment. It's, it's not a, let me tell you how you frustrated me. It's, I love you just the way you are redeemed. Because he came to redeem you and make you whole once again. So, <clears throat> I, I'm going to invite Justin to come up. And we're going to share in the communion time. And as we share in this communion, understand that this is Jesus that invites you to this table. It's his table. It's his to offer. It's his body that was broken. It's his blood that was spilled. All that that gives us the hope and the grace. In the moment where we were bloody and dying on the side of the road, he steps in, and this is how he heals. I don't know if you've heard him yet, but in this moment, in this time as we share together, I want you to hear, because this is where he's been talking to us for a long, long time, and maybe today's the day that you hear. Justin?